This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Today I thought I'd take a different approach with the podcast and tell you some stories, some wonderful stories from three coaches who taught me a lifetime of lessons. Three coaches who in their own way are truly remarkable and taught me so much and even more importantly, their inspiration and their example inspired my mind to go in a range of directions that I never would have gone without the time and energy and effort that the three coaches invested in me as mentors, as guides, as coaches, and as close friends. I'm going to talk, first of all, about a swimming coach called Terry Gathercole. Terry was a remarkable swimmer in his own right, a world record holder, a wonderful technician, an outstanding learn-to-swim teacher, a great coach. And I first met Terry in the early 1990s when he was head of the breaststroke program at the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra in Australia. And I'd, around about that time, I'd changed my life. I grew up in Sydney. I was working in a bank and then a credit union I was involved in lending people money to buy homes and I just didn't like it. From time to time it was okay, but most of the time I would be thinking that there was something else that I needed to do in my life, something that I needed to to do, I needed to connect with people, I needed to get out from behind a desk and filling in forms and I decided for a whole range of reasons that I would want to do that through a career in the sports industry. And I'd moved to Canberra looking for some work to pay my way through university. And through a range of different circumstances, I fell into this wonderful association with Terry Gathercole. I was allowed, even though I was a very new student, just commencing my life in sport, I was allowed to come and do a little bit of work with Terry on deck while he was at the Institute of Sport and working with some extraordinary athletes. He had a female breaststroker called Lindley Frame who would go on and become the world champion in breaststroke, Phil Rogers who would win an Olympic medal also in breaststroke and I had this incredible opportunity to make the transition from my old life in banking into sport by observing a truly great coach at work every day with some extraordinary athletes. But there were two things that I learned from Terry that changed the way that I looked, not just at coaching, but at life. One morning, Terry was working with his team of very, very elite athletes, and he'd given them a task. He'd given them a program to follow, and Terry himself wasn't feeling all that well. And he conducted most of the workout from a sitting position on the side of the pool. Now, I was, even though I was in my late 20s, I was still very new to it. And I was still convinced, even at that stage, 
that I knew it all and that it was all about the stopwatch and the heart rate monitor and about the times and the speeds and the paces and the workouts because that's what I was learning at university as a mature age student. And I was watching the athletes and I observed that their time, their pace, their work rate had dropped. And I was so excited about it because I thought, wow, I've picked this up. Aren't I clever? And I'm going to go and tell Terry the big news that me, I've discovered that the athletes aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm going to show him just how smart I am. So I walked over to Terry where he was sitting on the side of the pool. And I said, coach, coach, the swimmers are not swimming the pace they're supposed to be swimming. And he just smiled and he looked at me and he said, I know. And I was a bit stunned. And I said to him, well, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And he said, I'm going to move my chair. And all that he did was pick up his chair and move it a few meters so that he was at the end of the pool. And the nature of the stroke of breaststroke is that every stroke, the swimmers raise their head and look forward and they could see him directly now that he'd moved his chair and he could give them that one terrifying thing that they weren't looking forward to, which was a little bit of eye contact. And almost immediately, the swimmers responded and went back on time and nothing was said. There was no obvious physical action from coach. There was nothing written down the stopwatch didn't even come out. But the swimmers knew that that simple and subtle movement where coach was more engaged and was connecting with them in the pool through the subtlest and most simple of movements, they understood what that meant and they went back on task. And I remember thinking at the time, what a remarkable piece of coaching that was because how many coaches, when they observe that athletes are not doing what they were supposed to be doing or not following a program or not training to the standard, which they believe is important, overplay that moment, overcoach at that moment, jump in and, and tell stories about why it's important to do this and talk to them about the need for effort and commitment and tell stories about how important it is to work hard if they want to achieve their goals. And the lesson that I learned from coach was that it's an art form, that it's the subtlety, that it's the relationships, the connections, it's the understanding of the athletes and an understanding of the environment and the context where the coaching has taken place that's incredibly important. The second lesson that I learned from Terry Gathercole and a very, very important lesson that's followed me through my life for the subsequent 20 years is this. At the end of my time working with Terry when he was going to retire, he said, I've got something for you. And I said, Coach, there's no need for anything. You've given me more than I could ever ask. It's been an honour to have been here and had the chance to work with you. And he said, no, I've got something for you. And he came out of his office with a stack of training programs, thousands of workouts, 
speed workouts, power workouts, gym sessions, endurance sessions, sessions designed for athletes at altitude, recovery workouts, warm-ups, cool-downs, drills, everything written down in great detail in an enormous stack of papers, and he said, I want you to have these. It was like winning the lottery. I thought I had everything that I would ever need to be a world-class coach. I said, oh, thank you, coach, thank you. This is so wonderful, and he could see my eyes light up as if I'd been given the secret, I'd been given something that was going to turn me into a remarkable success, that I finally had the formula to being a great coach. And he looked at me and he said, Wayne, I want you to remember two things about these programs. One, you're not me. And two, you're not coaching them. And I looked at him a little puzzled and he said, you need to understand that the programs are only what's written down. It's what's not written down that makes all the difference in coaching. And to be honest, at the time, I didn't believe him. I must have told everybody that I knew from the time I was five years of age that I had these secret workouts from a guy who coached Olympic medalists, world record holders and world champions, and that was going to make all the difference in my life. But the more I've been in sport, the more I've been around great coaches and phenomenal athletes, the longer I've been in this industry, I don't know anyone has ever said anything truer than what Terry said that day. Too many coaches are focused on physiology. Too many coaches are overly obsessed with workout design and the development of practice routines. Too many coaches think that what they do day to day is all that matters and spend so much time on mastering the science of their sport and not enough time on looking for those gaps between the laps, on looking for those things that are not written and on understanding the subtlety and the beauty of the art of coaching. The next coach who gave me a lifetime of lessons was the wonderful Forbes Carlyle. Forbes in Australia, a legend in the sport of swimming, a bit of a television celebrity at different times, a sports commentator of some note, an author, a remarkable guy, uh, uh, an absolute legend in every sense of the world. In the early 1990s, I was fortunate after a whole range again of different circumstances to find myself as the head of sports science and sports medicine and research for Swimming Australia. And it was a fantastic job and it did in fact change my life in many, many ways. And in the early stages of being in that role, I'd met some incredible people, people like Dr. Dick Telford at the Australian Institute of Sport and Professor David Pine and Dr. Bruce Mason and some of the, the, the uh, brilliant minds in the world of sport and swimming in Australia and met some incredible coaches. But the one person who I really wanted to meet, the one person who... I, I was building up the courage to meet was Forbes Carlyle because he was a guy I've read everything 
that he'd ever written. He was a hero of mine. He'd coached the wonderful Shane Gould to win three gold medals, a silver and a bronze in 1972. He had an incredibly successful swimming business. He was uh, awarded throughout the world for his contribution to the sport. He was truly a giant, an innovator, a wonderful mind. And I remember I finally had the opportunity to make an appointment to sit and speak with Forbes for the first time at the end of 1992. And I walked in and there was one of my heroes, somebody that I was just overwhelmed to have the opportunity to meet. And as I walked towards him, I got a big smile. He put his hand out and he said, Wayne, I've been so looking forward to meeting you. That in itself would have satisfied me as the end of my career and I could have retired then. The fact that he actually knew who I was and that he thought that this was a meeting of some value to him as well. He then sat for an hour and I was transfixed at this remarkable man talking about where sport was, where it needed to go, what was wrong with swimming, the opportunities for swimming, where coaching needed to involve. It, it was uh, so fast and the brain, the mind of this guy just blew me away. I, I was, was just taken aback by the extraordinary intellect of this man and, and he was even more than I had hoped that he would be. And at the end of the discussion and we were talking about next steps and I'd invited him to be part of a national research group, I said, Forbes, I want to ask you a question. Why are you still doing this? You've achieved everything. I then listed out his achievements, which I think I knew better than even he did. I said, Forbes, why do you keep doing this? I said, you've, you've done so much. You've achieved so much. What keeps you going? And Forbes said this, Wayne, I can barely keep up with all the new stuff that's coming out. He said, I get up at 3.30, 4am just to start reading so I can keep up with all the new information and research and data and results and coaching techniques that are coming out. I can barely keep up. That moment just hit me so hard to think that a man who'd achieved such remarkable things throughout his life, a man who was now in his 70s, who was saying, it's not about what I've done. It's about learning. It's about learning fast. It's about changing my lifestyle to accommodate more learning. It's about realizing that there is more to learn that I don't know everything. And what a remarkable, and it then hit me as well, that's the reason why he was so remarkable, that he didn't come up with an idea and then plug that and promote that for the rest of his life. He didn't sit on his achievements, which were already incredible back in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. Here he was in the early 90s saying, I need to learn more. There is so much coming out. I can barely keep up with the learning. The other lesson from Forbes, which is just critical in my own development, 
happened several years later when I dropped in on Forbes and his remarkable and quite brilliant wife, Ursula, in their Sydney home for Christmas dinner. And as always, going to Forbes's was both a joy and a challenge because the discussion inevitably arrived at swimming and performance and coaching and success. And if you weren't prepared, it was very, very obvious that if Forbes started to talk about some new research that had come out from Scandinavia and you didn't know about it, then look out because he would be across it. And quite often the discussion would be very, very briefly on friends and family and politics, but very soon focused on coaching. And I, I miss those times tremendously. But this particular time was so noteworthy because I arrived in the cab I walked to the front door and Forbes was waiting. And just as he had almost 20 years earlier, he said, Wayne, I've been looking forward to you being here. I've got something I want to show you. Again, the energy and enthusiasm and passion for learning and for teaching was so evident. And we went into his library, which filled a house It literally filled a house to the point where Forbes and Ursula had to buy the house next door to leave their videos, their recordings, their newspaper cuttings and their library, not hoarding, but actually catalogued lifetime of information, a library in itself in a street in a Sydney suburb. But Forbes said, I want you to come and have a look at this. I've got this. I want to show you something. And we went into the library and he said, I read that article, Wayne, that you wrote a few weeks ago, which again blew my mind that he was still reading what I was doing. He said, I want to show you something that's directly connected to that article. And he had a little book and he had the book tagged with a little piece of paper. And he said, I want you to read that chapter, that little bit there. And I started to read it and it said, As well as training the body, one should train the mind and the spirit for a swimmer to achieve success. And Forbes said, that's what you wrote just a little while ago, wasn't it? And I said, well, yeah, I did write an article about the integration of mind and body and coaches focusing on engaging engaging the hearts and minds of athletes. And he said, I want you to turn to the publication information of that book. And I turned to the publication information and the book was simply called Swimming Second Edition and the publication date was 1902, 1902. And Forbes said something that chilled me. He said, Wayne, no matter how clever we think we are, Remember, we are only standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us, that there were clever people and smart people and brilliant people before us. And if we neglect looking backwards, we can't really see forwards. And then we had dinner. While I was still thinking about that incredible lesson, that wondrous lesson that I'd been given by my great friend, The fact that so many people are learning on the internet and are looking at what's happening now 
and thinking about how to plan a future, but without understanding the information, the ideas, the innovations and the genius of the people who've come before us is quite frightening. Look back, admire and respect the brilliant minds, wonderful spirits and incredible people that have come before us. Understand their thinking, understand that they were you in their own generation. They were who you are. They were hungry for success, desperate to succeed, wanting to show how remarkable they were, wanting to come up with new ideas. They were you of their era. Don't ignore that. Look backwards, study, learn, listen, understand, and it will make you a much better practitioner for now and in the future. The final coach who taught me a lifetime of lessons was my close friend, colleague, mentor, Bill Sweetenham. Bill Sweetenham, a brilliant swimming coach, came out of a tough mining town environment in northern Queensland in Australia. And through his own will and his own determination, his own passion and drive, went from those beginnings to become respected as one of the greatest swimming coaches of all time. But even more than that, one of the most influential thinkers and leaders in the sport of swimming around the world for the last 50 years. A very intelligent, very determined and an often now misunderstood character, Bill. Bill was no doubt one of the hardest, most challenging, most uncompromising, most committed swimming coaches I have ever seen. A man committed to the relentless pursuit of excellence through hard work. And he built his reputation in the 70s, the 80s, by being that uncompromising coach who worked harder, and expected more of his athletes than anyone else that I'd seen in the sport. But when you got to know Bill and understood the genius behind his actions and understood the driving forces behind him being who he is, you understood then just what a phenomenally brilliant coach and wonderful leader Bill is. There's two stories, however, out of the millions of Bill stories that abound in that sport. There's two stories that I wanted to add to today's podcast. One was a very simple one. A young friend of mine, a teenager, came up to me and said, hi, Wayne, how are you doing? And I was on deck at a pool in Sydney. And I said, I'm going great, Jono, how are you? He said, wonderful, wonderful. And I said, how's your swimming going? He said, well, it's great. It's coming along really well. He said, but I'm also exceeding my expectations. I'm doing a great job in basketball and I can't decide whether or not to follow a life in basketball or pursue my career in swimming. And standing right next to me was Bill Sweetenham. And I thought I'd take the opportunity to introduce this young man to my colleague, my mentor, Bill. So Bill, this is Jono, Jono, Bill, how are you going, Jono? And they started to talk. And I said, Bill, Jono was just telling me that he's very talented and doing very well in basketball. He's also doing very well in swimming. And he's having difficulty deciding which path to take. Now, in that situation, I thought Bill might give him a little lecture 
about excellence and hard work and commitment and focus and concentration and all those things. But instead, he said, Wayne, have you got a piece of paper? I said, actually, I do coach and a piece of paper and a pen. I gave it to him and he gave it to Jono. And he said to Jono, do you know who Bart Simpson is, Jono? Yes, I do, coach. I want you to draw a picture of Bart Simpson. Take your time. And so Jono sat down and he drew the familiar wavy hair and the big eyes and the facial features of Bart Simpson to the best of his ability. Showed Bill. Bill said, great job, Jono. Now, I want you to turn the page over. He said, I want you to look at me. I want you to listen to my voice. And I want you to draw that picture again. I want you to draw Bart Simpson again on the back of that sheet while you're listening to my voice and looking at me. And John O tried his best. And every so often he would glance at the page and Bill would say, no, 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 look at me, listen to me and follow me, but continue to draw. And after a few minutes of frustration and not great drawing, Bill said, stop. He said, I want you to look at the first drawing and I want you to look at the second drawing. What's the difference? Well, one's drawn really well and one's a bit of a scribble, not so well. He said, well, what lesson have you learned from that? Jono said, I'm not sure, coach. He said, Jono, it's very simple. If you want to be extraordinary, if you want to realise your potential, if you want to be all you can be, you need to focus on doing one thing extraordinarily well. Good luck. And that was the end of the conversation. That moment with Bill taught me yet again the subtlety of the art of coaching. In a similar situation, a high-profile swimming coach would have said, give up basketball, it's no good, or you need to focus on swimming or you're wasting. It would have been an over-coaching and over-talking moment. And with a teenage athlete, that sounds a little bit like their mum and dad telling them to clean up their room or to focus on their study. And chances are Jono, as good a young man as he was, would have ignored that lesson. But using that moment to teach a lesson, which wasn't about a coach telling a young athlete what to do, but was to say, I'm going to give you a problem to solve. I'm going to create a situation where you have to come up with some sort of solution, where you're going to figure out your own solution. If there is a better example of the art of coaching, I can't remember having seen it. Because in that similar situation, I have seen coaches lose their temper and scold the athlete for daring to do something else and telling them they're wasting their time unless they're doing this preferred sport. And there was Bill saying, all you need to understand is if you want to be remarkable, you have to choose to focus on whatever it is that you want to focus on. And it'll be that commitment to doing one thing well that will make all the difference. The final story, again involving Bill, is this. Bill's been known throughout his life as a hard worker, a tough coach, and his athletes were expected to follow that belief. And his athletes work very, very hard and, and would be some of the most well-conditioned, fit athletes in the sport of swimming anywhere. 
But not that long ago, I had the chance to watch Bill coach. And I hadn't seen him on deck coaching for a long time, but I had a chance to watch him. He invited me to watch. And I saw him work with a young girl. And at the end of a long training session, he said to the young girl, well, you've got one final session to do, one final set. I want you to do 12 times 100 metres. So you do 100 metres, have a rest, 100 metres and have a rest. I want you to do 12 times 100 metres and I want you to hold this time, one minute and four seconds, off you go. And on that particular day, Bill wasn't feeling great. He struggled with some ill health for a long time and battled it very courageously. And he sat and he watched the workout and there was very little feedback. There was very little interaction during the actual set between Bill and the athlete, but he never took his eyes off the athlete for the entire time. He watched, observed, took notes. He watched everything. At the end of the set, Bill said to the young girl, what did you think about that? How did you feel? Oh, I felt pretty good, coach. If you had to rate that session out of 10, how would you rate it? She said, well, Coach, I think it's about a seven or so. He said, yeah, well, look, I think that's, that's pretty fair. He said, is there anything that you can do to make it an eight or even a nine out of 10 session? She said, well, I think that if I did another one a little bit faster, that that would be a little bit better. He said, that's a great idea. Why don't you try that? At no stage did Bill's voice raise more than almost a whisper. At no stage did he say to the athlete, you need to do this, or you should do this, or if you want to be successful, you must do this, which is what I'd seen him do many, many years before, where he, was, he would use the, the power and influence of his considerable will to inspire athletes to just do more training or to work harder. But this was Bill working through the power of relationships with the athletes, on connecting with them, on demonstrating care and empathy with the athlete, but at the same time, in the back of his mind, maintaining his commitment to that uncompromising belief in the standard of practice being so inherent in the success the athlete would experience. So the athlete pushed off and came in, and after that, he looked at her and said, how did that feel? She said, not too bad. He said, I've got a question for you. If the number one athlete in the world was watching you at the moment, what do you think they'd be seeing? The athlete said, well, I think they'd see this and that and that. If you were watching yourself, what do you think you'd see? All right. I want you to think about how you can make that athlete the one that you want to see, the one that you'd like the rest in the world to see, what would they do right now? Oh, coach, they would do, wow, if I was number one in the world, coach, I'd do another four or five of these and I'd do this. And he said, that's a pretty good idea. Why don't we try that? And the athlete went off again. And over the next 45 minutes, I saw this remarkable almost a dance between a brilliant coach a talented and motivated athlete working together as partners so that the athlete themselves came up with a remarkable session that anyone in the world 
would have been proud of. After the session, Bill and I went out for breakfast. And Bill said, what did you think? And I said, Bill, throughout your life, you've been defined by two qualities as a coach, an unrelenting, uncompromising commitment to excellence and a deep care and love of your athletes. And that's what I see still. But I have to tell you, my friend, I've never seen you coach better. In all the years I've watched you working with some of the best athletes in the world, I've never seen you coach better than you're coaching now. And so the lesson from Bill was it doesn't matter what you've achieved. It doesn't matter the way you may have done things in the past or what you've done to achieve success. You can always improve. You can always learn. You can always adapt. You can always remain relevant. You can always be a senior coach working with young athletes if you understand that it's not about you, it's about them and communicating and connecting with them in a way that they want to be connected with. I count myself as blessed and very fortunate. I've got the opportunity to work with some remarkable people. But through Terry Gathercole, Forbes Carlisle and Bill Sweetenham, I have learnt a lifetime of lessons that have made an impact on me as a coach, as an educator and as a human being. To each of you, Terry, to Forbes and Bill, thank you for giving me the opportunity to learn and for investing in me a lifetime of lessons. This has been Wayne Goldsmith for Sports Thoughts. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more Sports Thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com.